Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we're diving into episode three of True Detective Night Country. So I'm joined again. Matthew is with me, third episode. Happy to be here again, as usual. And we are joined again by Ivy Tholen. Ivy, so glad you decided to come back. Hello, thank you for having me again. All right, we're not going to waste a whole lot of time talking. We're going to dive right into this episode. So episode three starts off... Unlike episode two, where we got a direct continuation of episode one, this one's going to jump back in time. We jump back seven years. Navarro shows up to, it's not important, but shows up to arrest Anne Kotak for, she says it's trespassing at the mines. We discover that Anne, it appears that she's operating this birth center. She's at least in charge of it uh, or work there or something. That part's not, doesn't appear to be super important. This struck me as one of the ladies at the birthing center dislikes Navarro. So this is the second time we've heard of somebody not liking Navarro, and it, struck, it stood out to me. There's some drama. The baby is born. It doesn't cry. CPR revives it. Ultimately, this scene kind of showed some compassion from Navarro. It introduced us to Annie seven years ago. But ultimately, I was left going, where is that baby now? Oh, I didn't mm. even think about that. The, that is the only thing I took away from that scene, to be honest, other than, you know, Annie finishes giving birth and then is like, okay, you can arrest me now, which I was like, okay, that she's very cooperative, very cool. Okay, where's that baby now? So that baby would be about seven years old, so that put out that it was not uh, Leah, Danvers' stepdaughter. Mm. So it's not her. It's not the girlfriend because this was an indigenous baby. Could it be the little boy from the flashback? 
I don't know. I mean, I guess if the flashback was far back enough, you know, um, because Annie was gone for what, six years and then her tongue turned up. I'm trying to do the math on all this, but that little boy didn't look like he was seven in the flashback with Danvers. Yeah. He looked four or five. But it could be a different flashback. I'm not sure. And ultimately, this baby could mean nothing. And it could have just been a scene showing us that Annie was contributing to her community, well-liked in the community, a good-hearted person. And if that's the case, I'm not sure I really needed this scene unless the baby becomes important. See, you and I had two very different takes on this. All right, let's hear it. Because first of all, we walk in and and the, for the birthing center itself, let's make this clear, it's a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not like fancy. Everything else, like later on, they're going to go to a hairdresser and that's also in a house because there's no like infrastructure. There's no stores. There's none of these kind of things. It's all of these things are in houses. So yeah, and, and she's giving birth in a tub, which is terrifying and um the, the i i'm working on a theory that because they mentioned stillbirths later on and then mm-hmm. this baby is almost stillborn i'm thinking annie knew something was going on because she was a midwife and that's kind of the beginning of what we're seeing and then Navarro, when she meets Annie, she's a hard ass, you know, her usual self. But then she sees what Annie is doing and Annie is stepping up and like saving this baby's life. And I think that made Navarro a little bit in awe of her. And I think that's one of the reasons why she sort of glommed on to Annie and her story, because it's like it's not just a woman that was murdered. It is this woman who was kind of like a badass delivering these babies. And she's like, hmm, you want to arrest me now? Here we go. We can leave now. And she's so like, I, I don't know, that, that's what I got out of it. I think that there's a tie between that story and the stillbirths. And this sort of almost parallels, we'll talk about that when we get there, but this almost parallels something that happens later on with Danvers. But I, I really do. I think that that, ba- that baby surviving but barely has something to do with the stillbirths that are continuing to occur in the present day. That's a very good observation. <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> So from that scene, we jump to current day where Hank Pryor has organized a hunting expedition with civilians who are all hyped up like they're tailgating. Like, Uh I swear they roll up with shotguns and coolers of beer in their truck to do this. They are Uh, in Alaska and the horn plays Dixie. Yes. That is all I needed to know about these people. (laughs) Yeah. Troopers will lead the civilians. It sounds like he mentions a couple of troopers going here or there. And Navarro really reasserts, we want him alive. And Hank replies, do we? And just walks away, Mm -hmm. which I thought was very suspicious of Hank, who has been nothing but suspicious this entire series. Mm -hmm. He's suspicious this entire episode. Oh, yeah. And it just gets worse. Yeah, it just gets worse. Yeah. So at the police station, Danvers finds out that Lund is still in a coma. She finds out over the phone. It's like a two-second clip. Uh, I thought Peter was acting strange at the beginning of this episode. Did anyone else? I think he's always kind of acting a little off. Yeah. Like, unless he's with his wife, I feel like that's really the only safe place for him. Mm. Otherwise, he's like at work trying to prove himself or he's constantly around his dad, who's 
kind of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I I kind of felt at the beginning of this episode that he seemed like, which would make sense, a beat puppy. Yeah. But he's also acting like he's already failed is the way I took it, especially on second watch. He they keep Danvers keep last episode was talking about like don't mess up, don't mess up. And he, he was kind of already acting like he'd already messed up and upset her. Talking to Peter shows that Clark's evidence from the trailer has arrived at the station. Danvers rifles through it, tells Peter to remove all 19 boxes. He put it in the storage spot. Like, why would you do that, Peter? Tells him to move it. Peter says something. I thought this kind of came out of the oh no, Danvers is gonna call Navarro. And Peter's goes, I thought you hated Navarro. And yet another moment where we just love Danvers so much. She goes, I hate everybody, <laughs> even you. And I was I was like, well, I often feel that in my daily life. I would never just say it to somebody, especially when it's so clear that Peter's it looks Peter looks up to her. I don't know why I'm calling him Peters tonight. So she hands him Annie's phone from the evidence and tells him to crack it. Basically, you're under 30. You can figure it out. Uh, <laughs> Peter asks what happened to the last case Navarro and Danvers worked on. And this is where we get a really fascinating story. And I thought this opening scene felt really rushed. It was very quick. Uh-huh. It was flying by. And then we get a moment to slow down. And I kind of felt this way about the whole episode. I thought the first 75% of it we got like 25% more information on the questions that we've had since the beginning. So mm-hmm. I do appreciate each episode. We get a little bit more, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We didn't get a whole lot of progress from the characters. I feel like we got some more mysteries revealed. Yeah. But there wasn't, there wasn't a great character moment like Navarro and Rose in episode two. There wasn't a lot revealed like that. But we get some, I don't want to say answers. We get more more information that leads to more questions. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those. So Danvers tells Peter that they get called to a murder-suicide of a William Wheeler. She goes through his rap sheet, assault, armed robbery, assault, and battery. He was dating this 18-year-old. He sent her to the hospital. They were trying to get her to press charges, you know. This is an ongoing pattern. It's going to end badly. She doesn't want to press charges. He does the whole, oh, she fell down the steps thing. But then the day comes, they get the call, and that he had killed his girlfriend. While she's talking, this was beautifully directed. Mm-hmm. While she's talking, we get the flashback of her and Navarro entering the house, and we hear Danvers say, that they found them both dead. He killed the girlfriend and then shot himself. But the screen shows that they walk in while he is still alive. Yep. I loved this scene. Mm -hmm. It was very much, I know I've said this before, but it was very much true detective. Like seasons one, two, and three, it looked clean. It looked, I don't know, very perfect. Like you said about some other aspects of the show, just the attention to detail here is, it's amazing. I really love this scene. Mm -hmm. It's a visual proof that Danvers is an unreliable narrator as well. Yes. So... Yes. Um, and he's whistling twist and shout when they I, walk in. 
I, I figured you would say that since you watch it with subtitles. <laughs> yes. Bruce pops up multiple times and it's not super blatant. And I love, love whenever um, movies, TV, whatever they use, hor- well, they use songs to sort of haunt the, the everything. And I, I think they're doing it wonderfully here. Yes. And, it's so good. And I, I don't know if I think this is the first time they heard twist and shout and that's the origin of twist and shout, or if, it was already haunting them. And this is another like scare for her. Like, I'm not sure which one it is. I wondered the same thing because the previous flashback with the little boy had mm-hmm. twist and shout. So mm-hmm. I wondered in the timeline of flashbacks where they fell. Yeah. So it cuts right after that. The key part is he was clearly alive. She said they were both dead when they got there, but she follows that lineup with, Navarro couldn't get over it and blamed me, which I, you can read into that. And I, I don't want to say we're supposed to, but they know we're going to. Mm-hmm. I read into that, that Danvers killed him. And Navarro kind of was struggling with the fact that it might've quote unquote been the right thing. I don't. Yeah. And, but also knew that it was, you know, illegal. It wasn't proper procedure, so on. That's the way I took that line, that Navarro couldn't get over it and blamed me, blaming Danvers. And that's, that's the way I read into that one. Oh, they definitely killed him. I just don't know who did what. Yes. But there's not a question in my mind that they killed that guy. Oh yeah. And it's lean and Danvers for me. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, We get a little insight into the fact that Peter had previously mentioned to Danvers that he had fallen on the ice when his uh, father hit him. So he has a bruise on his cheek and he had told Danvers, I fell on the ice. That's where it came from because Danvers has a really good line that this is when we get that she's good at her job. She's a good detective because she says basically something about him being a league champion or national champion in hockey. And it's weird that he would fall on the ice and basically saying, like, I know that's not the real story. Mm-hmm. And kind of hinting, like, when are you going to tell me the truth? It was just a weird, I almost took it as a flex, less so <laughs> than care. Like, I know you're lying to me and something happened to you, but I'm not going to push too hard. It, it was the way she delivered it that is what I took it as a flex. It was a it revealing becomes- line. It comes right after her also saying the stuff about um, about William Wheeler and the, you know, she fell down the stairs. Yes. She was drunk, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like, I knew then, I know now. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to cut to Navarro walking across snow. I love this she, so much. <laughs> yeah. She had picked up previously uh, from the hunter. She had picked up a bag of oranges, which... I'm sure oranges are super expensive in Alaska. Yeah. That was one of the things I thought about when she picked it up. They probably don't see those too often. Um, she picked up oranges from the hunting group and she tosses it into the darkness. I'm not sure exactly. Was there something that kind of triggered her into tossing it into the darkness? Or did Didn't she, she like hear something? Okay. And wondered maybe if somebody was there. I'm not quite sure either. I don't know what's up with the oranges in general. (laughs) I will tell you what it was triggered by. It was triggered by an homage to a 1980 movie called The Changeling. And as soon as I saw her throw that orange, I went, 
Oh, it's coming back. Yes. 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 I love the changeling. I forgot about that. Uh I saw that orange. I saw her throw it and I went, oh my God, it's coming back. They're doing the changeling. They're doing the changeling, which is also about dead children. Mm. And that orange scene had a dead kid in it. So I'm just... I, they, that was that was a hundred percent an homage to the changeling and no one can convince me otherwise well now that you bring it up i yeah, yeah the, also changeling is just a fantastic movie if you haven't seen that you need to watch the changeling it is definitely a slow haunted house story but it is mm-hmm. so good uh it's not a spoiler to say for anybody who's never seen it um george c scott is an older actor and he's the lead and his family has just died and he moves into a haunted house because, you know, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And he finds a ball, he throws the ball and that ball comes back to him and he throws it in a lake and it comes back again. I just rewatched it after I saw this to make sure I wasn't crazy. And um, it is a child's ghost that's throwing that ball around. So it's a child's ghost that's throwing that orange around. And I thought I thought it was a really nice touch. I was very, very happy with it. Because it's so scary. It, it just is. It is. It's, I wrote, it's eerie. Mm-hmm. And I think the way the scene is filmed adds to that. It's just silence. Mm-hmm. And this big, empty, dark shot. Mm-hmm. And what you can only see is what's directly in front of you. And I was like, oh, that is so good because I feel so isolated and alone and I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like night country. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is Navarro gets a call to return to the station. And Navarro's and Danvers start processing the evidence from Clark's trailer. The It's a pretty cool scene of them just laying everything out, organizing it. The evidence points to... a a relationship that was truly happy and not one that was a secret affair. And they kind of toss this back and forth. Like they look happy. It's not, he looks happy or she looks happy. The two of them together look like they were genuinely happy, but no one ever saw them together, which leads to the question, why keep it a secret? Danvers points to a candid photo of the two of them, implying a third person had to have been there to capture this. So who could have done that? They flip the photo over. There's some blue hair dye on the back of it, kind of matching what the blue hair dye that's in Annie's hair. And they go to probably the only hairstylist in town to figure out more about this. That's a safe bet. Yeah. (laughs) So they walk in. The hairstylist's name is Susan. Susan is working on an older lady's hair at the time, and Susan has a daughter who pops up a couple times on the scene. Susan reveals that she was there, she was the one who took the photo, and that she, in fact, lied to Navarro seven years ago. Susan's daughter is acting restless, kind of, mom, mom, and we get an interesting moment with Danvers. It seems that she truly likes children. Mm-hmm. That's what I got from this scene. Mm-hmm. So between the flashback of the boy and this scene, she likes children. Whether or not she's good with children, that's up to you. The show implies that she's good with children. Uh, she says something about like mac and cheese. I'll go take the girl, tell her a story, make her mac and cheese, so that Navarro can talk to Susan. We find out that Susan gave the men at the Salal station haircuts, and Annie went with her one time. This was when Clark and Annie met. 
He was fixated on Annie's tattoo. This raised the question to me, why did she just lift up her shirt and show him the back tattoo the first time they met? It Interesting worked. question. I it worked. didn't think of that, but you're right. <laughs> it works for the story because we saw in that photo earlier, it is on her back and it's pretty large on her back. So it wouldn't have been just like lifting up the bottom to show uh, uh, the tattoo. Susan says the tattoo came from a dream of Annie's. She got the tattoo and the dream stopped. So I want to know in this scene, are they trying to cut ties to season one? Or is there going to be more? Because that spiral we talked about is heavy in season one. And then they brought it back, really teasing it and bringing back a character's name from season one. And this kind of felt to me like, hey, forget that stuff about season one. And I was a little bit like, no, this can't be true. Yeah, I kind of feel that as well. I think we're going to keep seeing that spiral for sure. Um, one thing about this episode, not to like jump ahead or anything, but just like from this episode, I really liked that they kind of did cut ties a little bit and not reference season one over and over and over. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I, I think this is where the show is really going to build up and kind of come into its own. Mm -hmm. um, and and kind of isolate itself as like this season is its own season, just like the rest of them. It's a good point. I wonder, I wonder then if we're ever going to find out the true spiral story. It's a, it's a good question. I'm going to vote no. <laughs> yeah. So we find out that Clark was genuinely crazy about Annie and that Annie was the one who wanted everything to be a secret. Susan says something about she was also dating somebody from the Salal station, a certain Oliver Tagak, who worked there before Annie died. He left just before she died. And there was no record of him. They couldn't find him anywhere. They were truly surprised by this little bit of information. Susan reveals that she did leave a message with the police and left all of the information she knew and had just told them, but she left it anonymously. Navarro asks who took the call, and surprise, surprise, it was Hank Pryor who took the call. Navarro believes that we jump to a scene of Navarro and Danvers driving away from this conversation. This moment also struck me because there's a little bit of sunshine, and this was the first time that it's been somewhat bright outside. And it's still like early morning type bright, not full-on sun but mm -hmm. i did notice while they were driving i was like oh a little peak of sun this is the first time so has everything happened in a day so far that okay. was my question during Two this days, episode three days yeah we're still not to christmas that's true that i don't remember like, how many days before christmas it started but i think we're on december 23rd i was gonna say was didn't it start december 22nd well, maybe this is, has been a day. Well, so the, bodies, the bodies are had 48 hours to defrost, and they're just now starting to look like not a giant True. obstacle. True. Yeah, it's only been a couple of days. I think and it's this, the fifth day of night. Okay. And this was also the first time that they showed people going to bed. I noticed yeah. that this episode. Yeah. Not that that has any major impact on the story. I don't know. But we get a... 
this is probably one of those more character moments in this episode of Danvers and Navarro in the car. And Navarro is riled up, fully believes that this whole thing is related to the mine. Danvers questions how the mine could be connected to the Salau station and why Annie's tongue would show up seven years later if it was just related to protesting the mine. Danvers is insistent that there is a real-life, solid explanation to what is going on, and Navarro just kind of wordlessly suggests that it's not, that it's probably something a little bit extra. Yeah. I agree with Danvers. I agree with Navarro. (laughs) See, so Matthew is leaning to Danvers after episode three? Yeah. Yeah? Definitely, yep. Okay, well, that's interesting. I'm with Ivy. I think episode three cemented that it is paranormal. So, but I did have a question for Matthew because I don't remember anything about season one. I watched it when it came out, and that was it. Sure. When it ended, um, was it? I know that you know something got solved. Was there also something vaguely supernatural that didn't get solved? Like there was a hard murder that was yes, this is real. This is who killed them. Blah blah blah. Wasn't there also something like going on, like mystical, spiritual, like something that didn't make any sense at the end, and it kind of wasn't a bow package? Yeah, kinda. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, at the end when um, when Russ Cole and Marty Hart had just taken out that like very tall gentleman that was trying to kill him with the Mm -hmm. axe and stuff Mm -hmm. um he's sitting there sorry he's laying on marty and marty's sitting there calling for help basically because he has like that that knife that got stuck in his stomach then like Mm -hmm. raised up to his sternum basically Mm -hmm. while he was being held in the air well in that moment where he's laying down you just look up and there's like this huge visual just kind of like like intergalactic spiral type thing i don't know if that's what you're referring to but there are definitely hints of um spiritualness i guess i would say um and he also references like going beyond when he is like in his coma Mm -hmm. and coming back but he could like hear his daughter there and his dad like calling to him and stuff i don't know it's kind of interesting well unless navarro is mentally ill based on a scene we get later in this episode something spirit something haunting is definitely happening which you just opened another door for me by saying unless she is mentally ill <laughs> maybe she's been drinking the water too <laughs> because that could explain what happens later in this episode yeah and that would put me back in Matthew's field <laughs> of this not being paranormal well it's we kind have of... don't mistake mental illness for the supernatural we have that out there that's true so it's kind of um, cool that we can discuss and like toy both sides of the story yeah. right now. You know, it's, yeah. it's going to be exciting as the next episode comes. Yeah. yeah. See, I think I lean to the paranormal because I want it to be. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. The paranormal is pretty cool. I think Annie's murder is real. And I think that the, the Salal Station guys, I don't think that's going to get solved. I, I, I think that's something else entirely. Oh, See, the end of this made me question Annie's murder. So anyways, we'll keep going through the story because the end of this episode has a lot that happens. The conversation drifts between Danvers and Navarro drifts to Tinder. And (laughs) it's kind of funny, basically reveals Danvers has slept with the whole town and she's moved on to the next town. She's 
moving on to that. She's not going to shit where she eats anymore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Danvers asks Navarro, she's kind of like, it's what I do when I'm bored. And Navarro said, or, and then asks Navarro, what do you do when you're bored? And Navarro says, I pray. And Danvers has an interesting reaction to that. She makes fun of her. Yeah. It's <laughs> horrible. Which, yeah, it really kind of, it was just another moment where I was like, Danvers is just a crappy person. Mm -hmm. And I, I brushed it off to that, but I'm like, Everybody I'm not laughing in. that she was praying. I'm just yeah. laughing at Danvers because she cracks yes. me up. I'm like, well, yeah. she just doesn't care. She'll just say whatever's on her mind. Danvers she's, is a comedian this entire episode. Oh, she's <laughs> almost growing to be one of those people that you love to hate. Yep. Like, she's just such a nasty person that at some point you're going to bust out laughing because you can't believe she said that. But we get an interesting line from Navarro that kind of breaks from that conversation it stuck out to me and she just says do you ever get this feeling that you want to disappear and it's so good and it's important because it comes back later mm -hmm. we cut to hank and peter on the ice hank brings old ice skates and tries to be a caring father which is just more emotional manipulation trying to be the caring grandfather after I just smacked my son in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. He asks about Danvers' investigation and seems nervous that Danvers and Navarro are working together. Then he says something about, you were a great skater, so reinforces what Danvers said earlier and says that if his son ever gets out on skates, give me a call. I want to be a good grandfather. Why don't you your shot um then navarro shows up and questions why hank would withhold the information that he received from susan he they get this heated exchange he implies that annie actually he doesn't apply it he already says annie was sleeping with half of ns and danvers tells him to back off of his search call in his dogs and hank says that she's playing mrs robinson with his son and i thought that was a great line because most people just like peter are gonna go who's mrs robinson <laughs> but if you've never seen the graduate i believe that was dustin hoffman and mm -hmm. made famous by simon and garfunkel danvers throws his cup of coffee in his face i loved it navarro storms out peter and danvers have a conversation that forensics can't vibe because or can't arrive because there is a blizzard going on in a nearby town but peter has this idea his cousin is a vet who works with large animals and maybe he could just give them a little bit of insight into what's going on danvers basically is like all right how soon can he get here navarro visits kavik in a little cabin for ice fishing this was a scene this scene was pretty revealing we hinted that Navarro and Kavik kind of had this, they definitely had a physical relationship, but we weren't sure how deep the emotional relationship was. And this episode gave us an answer to that. Navarro asks if Kavik can ask around for this Oliver to Gak. Kavik says, only if you tell me about yourself. So here we find out that she has withheld a lot of information from this man. Mm -hmm. And he, I got the impression he genuinely wants to get to know her more. That is oh, what definitely. I took from it. Definitely. 
Okay. It's not prying. He's like, I just want to know more about you. She storms out, but turns around and comes back and is like, what do you want to know? So this is another one of those scenes where we get 25% more information than we had before. We don't get full story again. It doesn't match up with what we saw entirely in the previous episode. He asks about her mother. We find out that she was a local, met her dad in Boston, which is where where uh, Navarro grew up. Her dad was abusive, beat mom. The mom and girls escaped back to Alaska. Navarro says she was not okay. She had voices, episodes. One day she ran out and never came back. And she was killed. She says that they never found out who the killer was. And Navarro says very solemnly that her mother never told her what her Inupak name was. And you can tell there's a little bit of sadness there, but I also noted that this was the first time I remember somebody calling her Eve. I, I It stuck out to me too, because I didn't, I was like, she has another name. Yes. She yeah. has been Trooper Navarro yeah, for the correct. first yeah. two episodes. Yeah. And in this scene, I, it could have been said before, and I just didn't catch it. In the scene, Kavit calls her Evangeline or Eve. And so we hear her first name for what I believe is the first time. And then she also says that she never learned her native name from her mother, which I think was really interesting. She definitely doesn't feel, she, she like herself, not as a character, like you can tell she doesn't feel connected to all of this in a way that she thinks that she should be connected to all of it. She yes. feels like an outsider. Yes. And this scene, by the way, is gorgeous. The color in this scene, it's like glowing sort of neon green and yellow and like a reddish pink. And it's, I watched it three times because of how pretty it is. <laughs> he has his uh, ice fishing cabin decorated like it's somebody's garage where they mm -hmm. would just hang out. It, yeah, mm -hmm. he definitely seems to have neon lights. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a refrigerator or a bud. <laughs> This is the only thing I'm not caring for so far is Leah and her girlfriend, because her girlfriend seems to serve no purpose. Right. That's when, like, maybe her girlfriend will feel serve it, will feel purposeful later. But right now, I feel like Leah's story would be more powerful if it was Leah discovering this and not her white girlfriend yeah. trying to show her about her Inupak heritage. Yeah. So we cut to Leah and her girlfriend at a mining rally. This scene does a really good job. We've mentioned that there's kind of building tension throughout the previous episodes between the miners and the locals. And the scene does a really good job of capitalizing on that, talking about the water, talking about poisoning their water sources of food. The locals want the mine out. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it, one of the uh, men stands up and announces that there was another stillborn in town. So that goes back to what you were talking about at the beginning, Ivy. Yep. And he specifically says, another stillbirth. So there have been quite a few of these. And whenever I heard that, I thought back to the very first scene, and I was like, if she's a midwife, she's going to know about all of these stillbirths. She's going to see it before anybody else, and she's going to be able to put those pieces together. So is that what triggered her to start sniffing around? Is that and what that, got her killed? Yeah, exactly. Is it is it noticing that these babies are being being born dead and putting it together and deciding to go do something about it? And is that why she's dead? 
and the tongue is the tongue removed as a, as a, like anybody else want to run your mouth, you're going to lose your tongue too. Yeah. Like a symbol for silence. Yes. Um, also really quickly, the mine kind of ties into the opening scene because that was at the mine where they were at like the birthing center. Oh, and I it was like that. on the mines, lo- like their location. So, yeah, I think it's definitely tied in. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always took the tongue as traditionally like a message for silence. Yeah. It, it's weird to me that her girlfriend took her there because everybody yeah. in the scene is in Upat. Yeah. That's that's the only part that's kind of bothering me at this moment. Leah returns home. She has a shirt from the rally. Danvers is busy going over photos from the crime scenes. When Leah gets there, she goes up just to converse with Leah. Leah is taking off the mining rally shirt. She has the face paint on again. Realizes that, quote, she's been hanging out with the people who vandalized the mines. And And she says, are you insane? Do you know what happens to those people? Which made me go, what happens to those people? Is she just referring to Annie or is there a deeper? I think maybe she was talking about um, Annie and probably many other unsolved cases related to these people who are protesting the mine, right? Yeah. That would be, that's that's my guess at at very best. Yeah. would be another example of the show implying a deeper history to this town, which is another nice. Danvers straight up knows people are being murdered for going against the mines. Like she knows. So yeah. And then she forces Leah to go into the bathroom and clean the markings off of her face. And that's kind of a hard scene to watch. Like I thought it almost bordered on abuse. The way she handled it was very aggressive, very rough. As narrow, it's very Danvers. Yeah. <laughs> not very compassionate whatsoever. As Navarro walks back across the ice, great scene, I love this scene, walks back across the ice from Nav- from Kavik's fishing cabin. She hears, at first I thought it was a little girl, but definitely could be a little boy's voice, mm-hmm. singing Twist and Shout. And mm-hmm. she kind of stops in the ice another great shot of just like it is her and darkness and it's so good briefly out of that darkness you see a kid running and she tries to follow she shouts out hey and then slips and hits her head on the ice when she hits her head she flashes back it reminded me of the battlefield from episode one Mm -hmm. so she flashes back to this battlefield and we see just hints of a little boy. I think we see a hand. We get the impression of the body, like maybe the chin shows. And the little boy leans. He's holding a teddy bear. But this teddy bear is the white polar bear teddy bear from previous episodes with its missing eye. And he whispers in Navarro's ear, tell my mommy... And then we can't distinguish what else is said. She suddenly wakes up back on the ice, walks back to her truck, where she receives a call from one of Kavik's employees calling about Jules, which is Navarro's sister. 
He basically says she had a breakdown, started hearing voices, and ran out, kind of echoing what she had just told Kavik about their mother. He says he doesn't know where she went. Navarro drives to an abandoned shipwreck on the ice, which is super cool image. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, her sister's sitting there, just kind of crying in the wreckage. And Jules points out to the sea. And she says that she, sometimes she thinks stuff, bad stuff. And she's just kind of hinting like the ocean's right there. I can just go into it. And this reminded me of that scene with Danvers in the car where Navarro said, do you ever think about just disappearing, going away? And it echoed that to me that both of these sisters feel that. Pretty sure a lot of people in this town kind of can echo that sentiment. But it's just, it was a very subtle emotional scene. It's probably a really lonely place there, I would imagine. Especially in darkness, there's no sunshine. People generally seem to not get along, (laughs) especially like Trooper Navarro. She seems just really lonely in general. Like she just doesn't have any friends. (laughs) Yeah. Outside of Kavik and her sister, you don't see her with anybody. Uh, do you get seasonal depression in California, Ivy? Um, no, because all we have <laughs> is sun. Like, cause, cause I'm in, I'm in Southern California. So it's just sun all the time. Like okay. we're about to have to turn on our air conditioner. <laughs> it's yeah, we, hot. We definitely, we had sunshine yesterday for the first time in felt like months. And it was a big, like the world changes. The sun comes out and like, man, I'm ready. I'm, I'll go clean the house. I'm going to go outside and walk the dogs. Like everything is so much better. I can't imagine six days and it's more than that, but they're at their yeah. sixth day of just pure darkness. No, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. My biggest problem is, is that I don't know what, like, whenever you say things like that, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's winter. Like I'm lost in time because the weather never changed. <laughs> But something like that, living in darkness, it also seems extremely claustrophobic, even though they're in the great wide open. It Mm -hmm. seems so claustrophobic to me. Like, you can't escape. You can't get out. You're trapped in this little spot. It just, ooh. I think there's something inherently, maybe horrifying is not the right word, but there's something just inherently unsettling about darkness all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love them putting this in something a unique weather pattern that truly happens, a unique setting. I want to tell you a little bit about Zencaster. When I was preparing for our 13 Nights of Halloween series, I was really searching for a way to streamline the process. I wanted a professional-looking setup to invite our guests to. I wanted quality audio and video recording, and I wanted the easiest way to release the episodes to as broad of an audience as possible. This is how I landed on Zencaster. It is now super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. Just log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. And speaking of audio quality, have you ever worried what you sound like? Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes those ums and ahs in your recording. It removes those awkward pauses in conversation too. Set the podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with the click of a button. 
So if you're thinking of starting your own podcast or just want to streamline what you are already doing, go to zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code average customer and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. That's average customer, one word. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all of my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. We cut to Peter, just arriving home. He's climbing into his bed, who his wife is very much asleep. He accidentally knocks stuff off the nightstand. He wakes the son in the next room. He wakes his wife. He goes to take care of the kid. He comes out, and his wife is studying at the table for her exam. They have this argument about how she didn't marry a cop. She married him because he was a sweet idiot who made her laugh. And he says, maybe I don't want to be a sweet idiot. And there was something about this moment that I was on Peter's side. Yeah, it felt really unfair to me. Yes. He was like, I never stopped you from being a nurse. I never told you you can't do this. And there's something, maybe because I grew up a dorky teenager, <laughs> there's something about she married him for who he was at a point in time. Yeah. And that's the way I took this scene. And I felt for Peter again that like she wanted him to stay the dork, the sweet idiot who made her laugh. And while he's still that guy, he should be allowed to pursue his dream of being a police officer. He should be allowed to and have the support of her. I, that scene kind of hurt me a little bit because I felt for her for most of the season so far because Danvers is manipulating her husband's time. Yeah. And in this moment, I'm torn because, yes, Peter needs to put his foot down and be like, Danvers, I need to be with my wife. He needs to prioritize his marriage. But I also kind of hurt that she wasn't supporting him. So that was a very, it's a very short scene, a very brief exchange, but there was a lot of weight to what was said. It would be very easy for her to just stand up and say, do you have a problem with Danvers constantly contacting you whenever you're supposed to be at home and kind of like having that conversation? Because I'm sure he's not super thrilled on being texted at three in the morning asking if he's figured something out yet. Because yeah. I feel like that's probably weighing on him. But for the most part, it just feels like they're two kids that are playing house a little bit and they're both starting to grow out of that. Very true. Different directions. But Very they just true. seem so young. And yes. he seems like he wants to be a hero and be like this, this cop that can handle all of this. He wants to be all of that. And she's like, well, I'm not interested in you being that. <laughs> And he's kind of fighting against it. It feels like he wants to he wants to grow and everybody else is keeping him down. Yes, you just said what I was about to, is that this is the moment that I really felt that Peter is alone. Yeah. Not even his wife is on his side. And it's very, something tragic is going to happen to him. <laughs> oh. I just feel that even harder. But this was the moment that I was like, wow, he's got nobody to go to. Because Danvers told him he hates him at the beginning of this episode. Navarro jokingly calls him freshman and clearly has no patience for him. She shouldn't have to. She's not as superior. They don't interact. The scene carried more weight than I thought it should. But during the scene, Danvers calls, of <laughs> course. And she is asking about if he found anything about Tagak. 
So we cut to Navarro, who's tucking in her sister on the couch at her house. And this was the first clear transition of one day to another that I remember in this show. They're all laying down for bed. It shows her tucking her sister in, and then it shows Danvers laying down to go to sleep in her bed. The next morning, there is a group of Inupak women holding what seems to be a vigil for a stillborn child. Mm-hmm. I think this is directly relating back to what was happening at that mining rally. It's a yeah. touching moment, but I couldn't help but wonder why Danvers was there. Was she there because her daughter said what she said in that previous scene when they were arguing about she only cares about certain people, not about people who aren't in her circle? I just watched it wondering because Navarro is not there. I don't think so. I think that, that, I mean, that's the reason she knew it was happening, but I think she's there because she lost a child and that woman lost a child. And this is, this is her going to pay her respects and say, this is hard. I'm so sorry. Even though she never speaks, she just kind of exchanges a look with the mom. Um, Mm -hmm. And my husband didn't, my husband didn't understand what this scene was at all. And I went, this is like a wake or something for that baby. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, that woman right there is the mother. He was like, how do you know? And I said, because everybody is kind of pointing at her. She's looking down. She's sad. And mm-hmm. then she and uh, Danvers make eye contact. It's kind of like, yeah, I see you. I see what you're going through. I've been there too. And I, I really, I think she was just there to kind of pay her respects and show her support because she knows what it's like to lose a child. That I didn't make that connection <laughs> at all. So <laughs> that's great. Because they make that connection and Danvers is suddenly overwhelmed and runs into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And she goes to wash her hands and the water comes out black. And it's kind of a moment where I just felt from that little scene that Danvers is suddenly realizing the weight of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because not only did she feel the sadness from the people gathered, but she also went and just experienced like they can't wash their hands. Mm-hmm. And when she was pregnant, that's the water she was bathing in. That's the water she was cooking in. And that's that, that water is the reason mm-hmm. that baby's dead. Yep. More depth that just went over my head. Good. <laughs> good. Yeah. I didn't really put that together either. That they were like bathing in that water and stuff. I figured there would be like some type of backup water supply, but I yeah. mean, we haven't Wild seen anything like that. I didn't have, that's, yeah. I don't know. Just assuming, I guess. Like think about, think about places all over this country that have lead in the pipes. Yeah. Like to this yeah. day, I mean, there's plenty of places in the United States that have filthy water and, and people do what they can. And wow. I don't think they have a whole lot of choices out here in, in, in dark land where they yeah. can even get sun. How are you rationing <laughs> your supplies? Yeah, we know Oreos are like $19. Water itself must be yeah. ridiculous. And I don't think you can boil away whatever is making the water. I, I wonder if there's a way to like utilize the snow somehow and kind of boil that water or something to maybe at least fill up like a bathtub. Probably. You'd have I don't to know. Fil- it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. You'd have to filter it heavily because snowflakes form around a single thing of dirt. That's why when snow melts, the ground right. is so like dusty looking. So you you could, but I I would be and like you can be surrounded by the ocean and and be thirsty and and die of right. thirst because you can't drink ocean water. Yep. Ugh. 
So then, wow, adding more depth to that scene than I picked up on in my two watches, uh, we cut to the vet has now arrived at the hockey ring. This is Peter's cousin again, looking over the frozen bodies, and the vet is just horrified by what he sees. And he says something, Peter says something to him about, do you think that guy cut, gouges his own eyes out? And the vet, the veterinarian looks at him and goes, my God, how long have you been staring at these? <laughs> He's, I love he, that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a subtle bit of humor that's so shocked that at this point, these bodies have just been sitting there for hours and it's second it's second nature to these people. And to him, it is a truly horrifying sight. It's like the same as cracking up. Yeah. It's like the same as just like a Christmas tree in the office at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The veterinarian says Danvers comes in at this point. The veterinarian says that he firmly believes that these scientists died before they froze. Which, this made me question Lund surviving, just a little bit. He says that cold makes you fall asleep. He says that's how you die in the cold. You just lay down, your body shuts down, and you fall asleep and die. He said it's hard to tell, but he would put his money on cardiac arrest. He says the scientists look the same as a caribou he has seen that died of fright which was one of the chilling revelations that made me go, oh, paranormal. Uh, It also, again, it echoed the Diatla Pass incident to me because, like he said, those people did not just lay down and fall asleep. It was very much terror and running. So don't know what this is saying. There was a funny line about... I can't remember if Peter says it or Dan. Peter kind of hints like, well, maybe he could cut one of them open and take a look at it real quick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The vet just looks horrified. And Danvers is like, could you? And she goes, never mind. That'd be super illegal. But (laughs) it's just a little bit of humor. She says, can't you do a tiny bit of postmortem? Yes, (laughs) that was it. (laughs) And Peter's is like, Danvers. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean. She was comedy this entire episode. She was hilarious to watch she really was and i think part of that is also at this point we're just resigned to the fact that she's a jerk yeah the first two episodes were kind of feeling her out like okay is are we supposed to like her inside with her and then by this one you're like no she's just awful so they're at an impasse on the bodies tamra says they're just going to have to wait to see what anchorage uncovers navarro comes in and says that they found tagak and he's living in a nomad camp. So Danvers and Navarro, there's a nice little exchange between Peter and Navarro. Again, showing Navarro has no patience for him, but also Peter realizing that like he didn't do what he was supposed to. He didn't find the information on Tagak, another way that he failed. That's uh, why he got called freshman, because he only checked the computer database. Yes, yeah. <laughs> she gives him a hard time about yeah. like there's information outside of computers. So they head to this nomad camp. The camp is not thrilled at all by police officers showing up. They grudgingly let the two knock on the door. Danvers fakes a reason to enter. So that 
hearken back to the whole wheeling case at the beginning when she said they found him dead, but he was not. It's a scene that says she's willing to dodge the rules a little bit to do what she needs to. So they fake a scene to enter. Tagak greets them with a shotgun. He threatens them not to step any further. They're stepping on traditional Inupak land. And there's just a little bit of flexing back and forth, like, oh, well, your name's going to be on the deed, blah, 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 blah. And they eventually get to Tagak asking Navarro who she is. She's like, I'm Evangeline Navarro. And he goes, no, who are you really? You get this call back to when she was talking about how she never learned her Inupak name. And he looks at her and goes, you forgot. And it's just kind of a like hurtful emotional scene, like not insulting, just realizing that again she feels like that outsider and she's letting her people down. This guy must have knew her mom as well, and like maybe was around Navarro as like a child mm. or something like that, oh, like really early on. That's an interesting theory. I walked away from this scene wishing. I had gotten more from it because it just seems so fast. It does. It was very quick. They, so there's that little exchange about the name, but then they ask about the scientists. And this is the first time he finds out that they are dead. And his first question is, Lund is dead. So he happens to mention the only one that is still alive. Well, outside of Clark, we believe happens to mention the only one who's still alive and Navarro says no he's in the hospital recovering and he forces them out at gunpoint very harsh reaction to this and they leave immediately and get in the call, car and drive away so it's very quick scene just that interaction with Navarro and then finding out that Lund survived and then he's like I'm done with this you need to leave right now so there's definitely more to him like and Lund, right? So I was wondering, yeah. like, is it more of a, like, they were friends, or is it more because he's also one of the scientists, or his scientist friends died basically, uh, and I was kind of wondering, yeah, is it more of a respect thing? Because he was very shocked, or like he was, was surprised that that Lund was one of them. Sorry, what did you say? Was Lund in charge? Was I can't he remember. Like, I don't. I'm remember not sure. Who, yeah. Because if he was in charge, that kind of makes sense. But if not, that's interesting. I'd have to go back to episode one when they're like putting all of them out on the table and saying what they do. I can't remember all the different scientists that they are. I can't either. But as they're driving away from the scene, this is when they get the call that Lund has regained consciousness in the hospital. I would say this is where the scene, where the episode totally takes a turn. Mm -hmm. You could probably say that going into that conversation with Tagak. That's when things really accelerate. I feel I felt like up to this point, a lot of the show was kind of covering the bases of things we needed to know, but not a whole lot of depth. Mm-hmm. There were a right. couple moments, but I did up until this point, I was a little bit like, man, episode two was better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were waiting for this. Like yes. the show needed this moment right here. <laughs> yes. And then we get to this stuff and I was like, Oh my God, here we go. There's also just a, another killer shot 
they got the call that Lund is awake and they're driving through the snow, covering the highway with their lights on. And it's just really cool. Red, blue, red, blue across the snow while everything else is dark. I thought it was a really cool shot. They arrive at the hospital. Lund has lost both legs and his right arm. The makeup on this man is fantastic. He looks awful. His tip of his nose is black. He's just in rough shape from being frozen. Uh, he's wailing and screaming. And Navarro and Danvers get in there and they try to question him. And he says, we woke her. And now she is out there on the ice. And Danvers is, who, who, what, what are you talking about? What's going on? And he goes, she came for us in the dark and starts wailing, screaming, thrashing. Nurses run into sedate him. Chilling scene. Great scene. Mm -hmm. I agreed with the SFX comment. It it is unreal. It it looks, looks I should say it looks really real. <laughs> yes. But knowing it's fake, it's you know, it's it's wild. You don't want this poor man to suffer. You don't want him to live through this. Oh yeah. No, like he's looks clearly suffering. Like the the sounds of agony from this mm -hmm. man in this scene. Ugh. There's a shot of his blackened fingertips yeah. like reaching that is just Oh, it, you can feel it. It hurts. But then there's this noise from the lobby saying that there was an accident on the search. And this is a scene I didn't really understand other than it existing to pull Danvers away. I'm not sure why the hunters are fighting the police officers other than that was the accident on the ice. There was an altercation between the hunters and the police officers. It could then, be because Danvers, like Danvers, told them or uh, told Peter Pryor's dad to like get those guys out of there. So maybe them being told to leave caused some problems. Or that could I don't be. know. We didn't so get a ton of information. Really tell us what the fight was about too much, or give us any information. That led me to believe it was just to get her out of the room. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, and that made me wonder. Like, okay, was this a moment that? the writers just needed something to go on to get Danvers out of the room. Yeah. Is there something deeper here or was it manipulation from the being in the very next scene? Danvers runs out to assist with the fight. Navarro stays back and in probably my favorite shot of the entire show so far. Yep. <laughs> Navarro is standing just inside the door to the hospital room. We see Lund in the background. He's sedated, laying down. And the, the camera pans back out into the hallway to where we just see Navarro. But as it's doing that, you see Lund's blurry, out-of-focus body sit straight up with a measure of calm that he has not demonstrated at all. And he sits straight up. Then the camera's out in the hallway. We can't see him, but we hear him say in another beautifully sound-designed voice, Hello, Evangeline. And it's so deep. It sounds like two boulders rubbing together. It's so good. And then the camera pans back. So now you can see him again, sitting just over her shoulder. He says, Hello, Evangeline. Your mother says hello. She is waiting for you. 
and then he starts convulsing and flatlines. This was the moment so far. I got chills when he moaned at the beginning of episode two. This was straight goosebumps across my entire body. It's not something new necessarily in the realm of possession films or anything like that. It's not a new horror trick. It was just done very well and very effectively. Very much so. And I knew it was coming and it still freaked me out. Yeah, it was so I good. knew that guy's going to sit up in that bed and I still, in my notes, because I handwrite them, my handwriting is like three times as big and it just says, he sits up. That's, that's, man, you took the notes the first time watching it? Uh, no, 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 second oh, time. okay. Second time. I was like, the first time I just sit down, I sit back and watch yeah, it same. and then second time I took my notes. But this takes us back to what we said earlier about... Is this paranormal? This was the scene that until we started recording this episode, I said, yeah, this cements that what's going on is paranormal. But then we said, unless this was in Navarro's head, because she is the only person that sees this. Yeah. And Navarro is the one this entire time who's been seeing all the creepy stuff. She saw the orange. She saw the child. Yeah. Yep. And I did not put that together until we started recording it. And because, like I said, I I want it to be paranormal. That is, I wanted it to be. But now that you mention it, I'm like, man, no one was there to see that. It was just her. It very well could be that her sister has a mental health disorder, but she has the spiritual problem. Yeah. From her mother. So that... Man, I can't tell if that ruined it or made it brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's going to be an explanation for pretty much everything. I think there's going to be some loose ends for sure. So that (laughs) there's going to be a season five of some sort. But but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) So I've already heard that the original creator of the show has tried to distance himself from this season, which I think is kind of disappointing. Uh, And I don't know how true that is. Internet says crazy things. Uh, But it's not done showing us chilling and crazy stuff. Navarro's called out because Peter has shown up and he finally cracked Annie's phone. And he pulls up the phone, he pulls up the videos, and there's a video of her saying, she's found it, it's here. I have no idea what she's talking about. This is another one where like, we're given a little bit more information, but not enough to make any more sense of what's going on. I wonder where she is. I think she's in a mine. I think she's, she looks like she's in a cave or something. I think she's in a mine. This is what made me go, oh, Annie was looking for something. She, she, she had a bit of information and she knew something was going on. So she decided she was going to go hunt down something and do it. There's, I don't think there's anything supernatural happening in that video with Annie. I think that somebody saw her doing what she was doing and decided to stop her. What if the government is behind it all? Well, my problem is, is that usually by this point, we should have some sort of person who we, we, as a believable killer we should have seen the killer or had some sort of hint of who the killer is by this point at least a lead hank is probably the only like pop like person that we know who actually speaks to the miners 
we don't have like many minor characters in it. We don't have any, we don't have government in it. We don't have any of those people. That's why it seems a little bit weird to me. Hmm. Um, we don't have anybody to point to. We have, we, it's like the miners are like a faceless thing, but, but it, it's, there's something weird about the writing there that I don't have somebody that I can look at and go, Oh, if it's not him, it's his boss. Hank really appears to be the only person that's tied into that. And I don't think Hank did this. True. Because she says in that video, I found it, it's here. Yeah. If anything happens to me, and then there's screams. And that's where the episode cuts. And we're left going, what the heck just happened? Yeah. So, Ivy, you started to tell us a little bit about what you think is going on. Well, I, I do. I think Annie, notice, I think Annie is involved with the people that are trying to run the miners off. We know that. I think that she's the one that started seeing some stuff. She wanted some proof of what was going on. She found the proof. They killed her. I, I, I think Navarro was right about that. Now, everything else with Salal and all of that, I have no idea. But I, I would be stunned if Annie, if there's anything in Annie's actual death that is supernatural. And I think that Clark was probably, I, I do, I think Clark was just, in love with her am i getting the name right yeah yep <laughs> clark, was a clark was in love with her and did some weird stuff and and salal's paying for that i, I think it's all a, a result of that I, I even kind of think that it's possible he's had the tongue this entire time even if he didn't cut it out interesting like i i feel like the tongue is connected to whatever they woke up and it seems like if you were going to try to resurrect somebody and you didn't quite know what you were doing yeah, and you messed wondered. it up, having a body part would be mm -hmm. part of whatever spell or what, whatever you were trying to pull off. I, mm -hmm. It just, I don't know. I, I don't think Clark is a villain. I think he just made some mistakes. I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. Matthew, what are you? Oh man. You know, um, that's the thing about episode three. I'm not really quite sure what I think is going to happen. If yeah. I'm being totally honest, like yeah. I am kind of just on the edge of my seat waiting for Sunday at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I think Ivy, you brought up some very good points about uh, Annie's story. I initially, and like I said, it is my personal bias of wanting a paranormal resolution. <laughs> uh, that cave scene reminded me, did anybody see The Outsider? Did I? Maybe a long a, time ago. It was an HBO miniseries with uh, Ben, what is his name? Ben Mendelsohn. And it's based on the Stephen King book, The Outsider. But it's kind of paranormal-esque mysteries revolving around crime, but then they go to this cave and it's a mystical demon shapeshifter or whatever. Spoilers. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> show's been out for years. Your fault. <laughs> but when we see Annie in that cave saying, I found it, it's here, I immediately kind of went ancient deity, yeah. whatever. That's what I went. And Ivy, you brought up some good points that made me question that. <laughs> but I also, I do agree with Matthew. I think this is the point now we've gotten, I don't know that I can take more questions. I think at this yeah. point, episode four, I need some things to start being answered. I don't need all of it answered. I dislike strongly when shows, so this is a six episode season. 
I dislike when we get the answer in episode five and then all of episode six is like climax resolution. Yeah. I don't want that. I want to find answers in the last 10 minutes to keep me engaged. But we do need to start like maybe next episode we get the real story of what happened between Navarro and Danvers. Maybe we get the real story of what happened with Navarro's mother. Some of those things need to be put in place before we get the full reveal. Yeah. And I do think you've raised some great points about Annie could be real murder, but what happened to those scientists? Totally. There's so many open-ended yes. <laughs> possibilities right now. Yeah. Uh, you kind of touched on it, like possibly what we need for episode four. And I think maybe even introducing like some faces of the miners, like a little backstory there. So yeah. we know, I don't know who these people are. Like maybe they had security around the mine and just mm -hmm. found her kind of trespassing or because yeah. it sounds like there's a lot of, a lot of hatred in this town a lot yeah, of yeah. division so I, I don't know i really don't know what's going to happen they didn't even really introduce us to any of the hillbillies true like no they could easily integrate them like they could it was it's just very very weird to me that we're not meeting that there's clearly something going on with the mines and we're seeing the people who are opposed to it but they're giving us nothing on the other side yeah it, maybe we will maybe we will from like the hospital fight scene maybe, maybe. hopefully because chances would... are these are the same people Right. Yes. I would enjoy seeing episode four pick up again right where episode three left off. I don't need another flashback unless it's Navarro's mother or the Wheeler case that separated them. I don't need something again like Annie's that gives us more information, but no answers. Yeah. I, so that's the only way I'm okay with that happening. But I do think just thinking about like we're halfway now. And we've been given so much information mm -hmm. that it blows my mind that the second half can contain just as much information. And hopefully that information includes answers, but there's still so much that could be revealed. And I have not lost interest yet. I'm not. Six episodes seems short for yes. where we're at right now. Yes. I agree with that. Very. I didn't know it was only six. I just looked it up earlier and I went, there's only three more episodes. What? Uh -huh. That's a, a little, lot to resolve. I'm a little bit sad because it's been a while since a TV show had me this engaged. So. <laughs> and apparently I everyone hates it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the last time a TV show had me this engaged was, um, we were talking before recording midnight mass was the last time that I was hanging on every episode but even House of Usher, I watched it quickly, but I wasn't like, I can't walk away. I would binge this thing in a sitting if it was all out right now. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm trying to reserve judgment until the end. Yeah. Um, kind yeah. of thinking about at like seasons two and three. I know they weren't very popular, but if you watch them through to the end, I, I really loved those. I think that three was probably almost as good as one. Really? Yeah, if you watch it all the way through. It's a slow yeah. burn, but it's worth it. I might have to go back and revisit. But yeah, I think it's it's very true that this is the type of story that it all comes down to if you can stick that landing. If yeah. you can stick the ending, this will be great. If you fumble that ending, 
it's going to be a Game of Thrones where it's like, yeah, the first four episodes are good, but then, you know, <laughs> turns out it's just some guy or Stephen King's It. It's just some crab in the cave. <laughs> <sighs> oh, no. That That's the problem. Sorry. That's the problem with It. It is great until you find out what is causing it, and then it's just over. <laughs> Stephen King can't write endings. That's not. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> anyways all right so i think that is all we have to say about episode three yeah released just a couple of hours before episode four premieres so next sunday we'll be back with our thoughts on episode four mm-hmm. hopefully we get those answers that we're looking for hopefully uh, thank you so much i'm gonna be mad if i don't get something I, at this point right i i might be still excited but also frustrated so yeah. All right, you guys have anything to say? Nope. Nope. All right, thanks for joining me. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. And now we return you to our regular scheduled program, In Progress.